0: Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I'm pleased to bring to you the sixth Aliyah, the sixth section of the Sidra, the parsha of Noach in the book of Genesis. And the sons of Noah who exited the ark were Shem and Cham and Yafet, and Cham was the father of Kanaan. Canaan is mentioned here not only to foreshadow his role in the upcoming story, but to foreshadow the importance of the Canaanite nations uh, vis-a-vis the Israelite nations who were reading this story at the foot of Mount Sinai for the first time and thinking about the fact that their next stop was the land of Canaan, which was the promised land, in order to take it over by force, assuming that the Canaanites would not surrender and accept Noahide laws, which of course they did not. Um... I think it's also trying to say that a father becomes known according to the name of his child. That is, he gets his child's reputation, assuming that the child becomes infamous enough. And that's something that that we see in modern times as well. The reason for reintroducing the three sons for, I don't know, now it's probably the third or fourth time, is explained in the next verse because we are describing the source of the dispersion of the 70 nations throughout the world. These three are the sons of Noah. And it is from these that the whole world branched out. Usually, nafatz is a negative word, meaning to shatter or disperse, like the tfutza. But here, I think the sense is neutral, just that they're all kind of moving into their own areas and filling up the whole earth. However, before discussing the nations, who they were and where some of them branched out to, the Torah takes us on to a detour of a horrible event that took place between Noah and his kids and how essentially the character of each one, that is the way they behave, will affect the nations that branch out uh, afterwards. Vayachal Noah Ish Haadama And Noah began to be a man of the land... Ish HaAdama, which means, simply speaking, a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Now some read a negative connotation in the phrase, a man of the land, but I think that the Torah is just trying to do something that we've seen it do before, which is now in the Noah story, to uh, recall the words of the creation story. There, God plants a garden, Vayita Hashem Elokim Gan Be'ed and And here the word plant is used again to plant the vineyard. Also notice that he is an Isha Adama, and there too in the creation story, Adama not only tells us how Adam was created, that is from the land, but that's his very name. So what the whole thing is trying to do is to essentially say that we are re- beginning Genesis, because everybody else has been wiped out, and it's now time for Noah and his kids to repopulate the whole world, which they will succeed to do. Noah is essentially the new Adam, and I think that's why he's called Ish Ha'adamah, the man who is Adamah. The next verse, however, is without question critical of our Noah. min uh, and he drank from the wine and he became drunk and he uncovered himself in his tent. This recalls also, I think, the original sin, the eating from forbidden fruit, which is followed by the shame of being uh, naked. So here too, Noah winds up uh, a drunk uh, and naked, but he, fortunately for him, he's too drunk to be ashamed of being naked as Adam and Eve were. The word Vayitgal is in the Hitpael form, which is reflexive, meaning Noah did it to himself, although I don't think he did it on purpose. He probably just uh, took off his clothes or became uh, uh, uncovered accidentally. Vayar et ervat aviv and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the privates of his father, the private parts of his father, and he told his two brothers about it outside, meaning outside of the tent, because they, Shem and Yafet, would never enter their father's tents, especially when he might be drunk or involved in some intimate acts. Once again, Ham is identified as the father of Canaan. And we will see that it is Canaan who actually gets cursed, not Ham, which brings up two questions. First of all, if Ham is doing the seeing here, which is the bad thing, why is Canaan, his son, being cursed, as opposed to Ham, who is not? And what kind of sin is seeing? As we will see, I mean, it may be bad, but Noah's reaction seems to be far out of proportion to a crime that is simply seeing his father's uh, private parts, uh, seeing his father while he is naked. Uh, Rashi explains that, uh, or offers that... I think it's Rashi, not the Radak, offers that the reason why Khan himself wasn't cursed was because God himself had blessed all of Noah's children and therefore Noah couldn't undo that so he had to go to the next generation but I think that the, the Khan must be involved here but before we get to the answer of why it is what it is that Canaan did and why the uh, punishment seems so out of uh, of uh, of um of balance compared to the sin, we will first the Torah will first say as follows et <laughs> But Shem and Yefet took a cloak, that is, rather than joining in in whatever fun was going on, they took a cloak and they placed it on both of their shoulders, and they walked backwards and they covered the privates of their father, but their faces were turned away so they wouldn't see their father's privates. Notice the quick succession of verbs. And he took, and they placed, and they went, and they covered, but they did not see. This conveys a sense of a desire to fix the problem uh, regarding their father, Noach, as quickly as possible. Many commentators note, I think correctly so, that the first verb is Vayikach, the taking of the cloak is the singular, even though we see that they both took it, they both put it on their shoulders because the, and they both did the rest of it because the rest of the verbs are in plural. So it seems to be saying that shame really jumped on the problem right away by himself. But then he sort of uh, 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 got Yefet to uh, come and help him out and then Yefet was well on board to to do the rest of the good things to protect the dignity and perhaps other uh, things of their father. And this explains why when Noach gets around to the primary uh, blessing, the best blessing goes to Shame, that would really make the most sense if Shame himself jumped on the problem faster than Yefet did, although Yefet certainly plays along very nicely. Noach no et asher a katan. And Noah sobered from his drunkenness, and he knew that what his youngest son had done to him. From this verse, we know that Ham was the youngest, even though he's usually listed second. Shame is probably listed first, out of order, because of his significance to the audience of the Torah. That is, we, that is us, uh, the Semites. The Radak offers another explanation of why he's called Katon, because he actually the Radak feels that 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 Ham was not the youngest. But I think we should read this at its face value that he was the youngest. More important uh, is is that we get to the sense that there's more than just the fact that they're looking at their father or that uh, Ham looked at his father something physical happened i mean if that's not so if it wasn't something physical and detectable how could Noah have known that somebody did something to him how would he know that how would he know that if it was just seeing him how would he wake up and know that somebody just saw him what would be the evidence it's possible that he saw the cloak of shame and Yafet and deduced that that uh, Ham was involved in looking at him and shame and Yafet came to cover him up but Really, there seems to be something else going on here, something physical, something detectable that happened, especially since Noah reacts in the following way. And he, Noah, said, Canaan is cursed, let him be a complete slave to his brothers. Rashi cites two rabbinic opinions of what actually happened since Noah really kind of, you know, he just goes red hot. Either Ham raped Noah or he castrated Noah. Rashi prefers the latter, that, that Ham came in to castrate his his father, because it supports the solution of another problem, of the second problem, which is why curse Canaan for something his father did. So Rashi explains that Canaan instigates Ham, and Ham, what he was actually trying to accomplish by uh, uh, castrating Noah, was to keep Noah from having a fourth child, since that child would grab one quarter of the earth and would split his, uh, his, uh, his one third, it would take a piece of his own property and his wealth. So what Noah does when he gets up is because you kept, he says since you kept me from having a fourth child, your fourth child who is Canaan, as we will see later on, is now cursed. There's another possibility. It's an unpleasant possibility and it's a bit out there but it does fit the plain sense of the text, even though at first glance it doesn't seem to. The plain sense of the text says, and he saw the Ereva of his father. And that really doesn't support castration or rape, but it does sort of indicate the following. The phrase seeing ervat aviv can mean having sex with Noah's wife. That is, Chah may have had sex with Noah's wife, i.e. his mother. How do we know this? Because in Vayikra chapter 18, in Leviticus 18, um, it says... Don't uncover Altigale, lotigale, which is the same word we have here when Noah is being uncovered, and specifically what it prohibits is as follows. Ervat eishit avicha lotigale, ervat hu. Don't uncover the erva, which I'm not going to translate right now, erva of your father's wife, i.e. your stepmom. She, why? Because she is the erva of your father. The meaning of don't uncover clearly doesn't mean don't uncover. It means don't have sex with. And ervat avicha does not mean the privates of your father. It's referring to your father's wife. It means your father's wife. Obviously, the, the implication is that only your father has sexual rights with her. But the words ervat avicha there specifically means the woman that your father is married to. Whether it's your mother or stepmother, either way. So it's possible, if we say that that's what what, what means here it's possible to say, and one commentator suggests, that Ham slept with Noah's wife. He slept with his mother. And in fact, it happened on the ark. And Canaan was the offspring of that incestuous relationship. So when it happens again here, when he gets drunk and Ham walks in and, unco- and, and, and and is involved in the whole uncovering of the ervav, his father, which may mean his mother, um, and then... Noah wakes up, and he realizes, oh, this has happened before, and what's happening now is what happens before. And then he curses the offspring of that relationship, which is Canaan. Again, I said this interpretation is a bit out there, but it does fit the text, it does explain why Canaan is being cursed, and it does explain why Noah reacts so ferociously. On the other hand, you know, it's certainly possible that there was castration going on, and the Radak actually says even looking at it was enough to get this kind of punishment. Um... Look, we we, we probably always should give credit to Rashi when he he comments. Although, again, I just have some problems with it. Because, for instance, how would Shem and Yefet simply covering up his private parts with a cloak solve anything? Clearly, the problem here is not just that it's naked. I mean, if, if there was a problem with castration, you know, a simple covering of the cloak doesn't help that much. Clearly, there's more here than meets the eye. And the Torah is sort of leaving it unresolved. Maybe it doesn't want to tell us. Uh, because it was such a horrible thing. Um, either way, I, I think we just sort of have to leave it unresolved. We really will. N- it's impossible to say for sure exactly what took place. Just that what took place was very, very bad. Uh, practically, though, um, we should point out that what comes out of this verse when when Noah comes and he curses him as an evad Abadim, What he, he the reason he's using that superlative Evan Abadim, and the reason why I know that superlative is because kodesh kodeshim. Means the most holy, and Shira Shiri means the best of the songs. Ebed Abadim really means the ultimate enslavement. And I think what, what that's telling to the audience of the people reading the Torah is that Canaan's possessions, like any slaves, are at the mercy of his master. He really has no right to possess anything long term. And that the nation of Canaan, regardless of the fact that it once conquered what would what would become the Holy Land, the land of Israel, the fact that she is going to lose control over that to the Jewish people is part of the very. um, It's built into the very DNA of the Canaanite people because of the curse that they received. And he, that is Noah, said. Blessed is the Lord Hashem, Yudke Vavke, of shame. And Kana will be a servant to him, that is to shame. Perhaps shame already made moves towards the idea of an omnipotent, omniscient God, and that's why Noah says, you know, blessed be this Yudke Vavke, this personal God that shame has sort of come up with. However, surely it wasn't until Avraham's time that the real idea of the om- omnipotent, omniscient of the moral monotheism took its full shape. But it appears that that people were at least, uh, that, that Abraham's great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was at least moving in the right direction. Yaft Elohim liyefet. So Noah continues. Yaft Elohim liyefet. V'yishkon ba'oleh shem v'hi chran l'amo. Let the Lord give plenty, plenty of land, plenty of wealth to yefet. But he, meaning God, not meaning yefet, but he, God, will dwell in the tents of shame. And let Canaan be a slave to him, meaning to yefet as well. So even though yefet will, be a benef- will benefit for its good deeds, God will only dwell in the tents of shame, that is that personal relationship where God actually sets himself up almost manifestly, that's only going to happen with the descendants of shame. And I'd like to mention something, by the way, about these curses against Canaan. I remember seeing a show once. I don't remember what the television show was. But there was this fundamentalist uh, preacher who said that, uh, really, like on, on national TV or local TV or whatever it was, who said that it's clear that if you read the Torah, like it or not, that blacks, black people are destined to be slaves. And I have to say this is a terrible thing to say. I, it, I knew at the time it was a terrible thing Today, It wasn't just racist. But it's complete wrong reading of the Tanakh. It's complete wrong reading of this passage. Ham, who most of, most of whose people went down into Africa, although not only Black Africa, Egypt, Libya, that whole area as well, Cham himself was not cursed. Only Canaan was cursed. Kush wasn't cursed, and the other people we'll see are not cursed. It was only Canaan. And Canaan are not in fact the people who live in Africa at all. They lived in Asia, they lived in what is now Israel, and we'll see they live uh, uh, north of that, up to almost to Hittite land. So I, it just bothered me so much, because I guess it bothered me from an intellectual standpoint. How could somebody take our Tanakh and just misinterpret it? But it really bothered me, because it, it's what happens sometimes. People take the Tanakh, they take the Torah, and they shape it and reform it to match what they have already decided to be true. And I think that's really terrible. So I'd like to go on record saying that I'd like to show you from the text itself that there is no such thing as blacks being destined to be slaves from the Tanakh. In fact, it specifically says that that's that that, that idea is specifically Untrue, according to the very words that we read, and it should be put out of anybody's mind, and it should never become, the Torah should never become an excuse for other people wanting to, to, to be evil. And Noah lived for 350 years after the cataclysm, that is the flood, and the entire lifespan of Noah was 950 years, and then he died. So, again, it goes into this detour, I think, not because it wants to tell us salacious stories about terrible things that happened and how Noah was a drunk. What it's trying to tell us is that when you look at the nations around, the, the essentially divides, the Torah is dividing all ethnic and national ethnic groups into three into the children of Shame, the Semites into the children of Yefet which we'll see will be the Greeks and the nations in Asia Minor and and further out to the east on the Mediterranean west on the Mediterranean and to the children of Ham and Canaan who would be African and also uh, Babylonian and other parts of the Middle East as well, and it's trying to say that when that these nations are to some degree a genetic result of a, a reflection of the way that their great 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 grandfathers, their the the the, the beginning elements of their nation. Uh, based on the way they p- behaved is based, is the way the nations themselves turned out. And now we get back to the actual nations described by the Torah. And as I mentioned before, it's 70 nations, and that number is very significant. Uh, it's 70 Jews who go down to Egypt 70 nations and I think the idea if you remember I talked about the number 7 being a sign a Kabbalistic number if you see in the Torah the number 7 always indicates God's control over nature and things that are multiples of 10 have a certain permanence or grandeur to them so you take those two ideas and, and, and the reason why these nations are going to be defined as 70 is to say that that really fills up the entire world and that's the way God controlled the flow of all nations in the world told these are the generations of the children of Noah shame of Noah shame, they are shame and Yafet, and they had born to them that is to their three kids sons after the flood. So first, the Torah lists the children of Yefet, which fits with his status as the oldest, which Ramban says to be true and seems, and I think Rashi does as well, and it seems seems right to me. Bene Yefet, the children of Yefet were Gomer, Umagog, Umadai, Viyavon, Vetuval, Umeshach, Metiras. I'm not going to translate those all of these because essentially I would just be transliterating them to English. But I will point out uh, uh, occasionally when a nation stands out. So Gomer here is connected to Magog which is the nation which uh, God predicts will come, the, the prophets predict it will come to Israel to make war uh, in the Valley of uh, Hinnom or the Valley of Megiddo or in Megiddo in pre-Messianic uh, times. These nations, um, uh, uh, the other nations, Madai, Yavan, Tuval, Mesha, tiras are generally identified as being located in Asia Minor and the islands of the Aegean. Uh, Yavan would later develop into uh, the Macedonians and the Greeks. Uh, and now we go down to the third generation. Uvnei Gomer. The sons of Gomer are Ashkenaz, Rifat, and To-Togarma. Ashkenaz in modern time is, refers to Germany, but whether that's what it meant back then is unclear. Uh, i, I would say unlikely. Uvnei Yavan, the children of Yavan were Elisha, Vitarshish, Kitim, Vidodanim. Elisha is the modern day island of Cyprus. We're almost positive about that. Tarsus, uh, is on the southwest corner, uh, coast of Asia Minor. And the second temple of Kitim was a synonym for Romans. But here it seems to be referring to some, um uh, uh, some nation on an Asian island. And Dodanim is identified as Troy, actually. Uh, Also on the west coast of Asia Minor and the islands that really, if you take a look close there in Google Earth, you'll see that uh, modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, if you go all the way to the west towards the Mediterranean, you'll see it breaks up into little tiny islands. And and, and note that, please note that all of these identifications that I'm giving in this chapter are are to a greater or lesser degree very uh, speculative. Um, however, what the Torah does tell us uh, is a little more information about Yavan, and that they are seafaring peoples. Me'eled nifdu iyei from these, uh, the island nations branched out, each to their own land, their own languages, their clans, their nations, or their peoples. And that wraps up Yefet. Altogether, fourteen nations. And if you count them, you'll see there are seventy altogether by the time we're finished with Noah's three sons. Kush And the children are Cham, and uh, uh, the children of Cham are Kush, Egypt. Putin, and Kna'an, Kush is south of Egypt and what today is like Eritrea, Ethiopia, that area. Ubnei Kush, going down to the next generation, the children of, of Kush were Siva v'chavila v'savta v'ra'ma v'savtacha v'sav, v'sav Uvnei um, Ra'ama, now now down, down to another generation, the children of Ra'ama were Shiva and Dedan. Sheva and Dedan. Sheva, of course, is the homeland of the famous queen of Sheba. That's Sheva, Sheba, who visited King Solomon. And The country was either on the west coast or the east coast of the southern area of the Red Sea uh, by Yemen or maybe on the other side of the African side. But I think the Yemen side is more likely because in the story of Eo, who seems to be an Edomite, which is on the Arabian Peninsula, that is the uh, east coast, uh, the east coast of the of the of the Reed Sea, of the Red Sea, um, he gets attacked by the forces of Shiva So likely that people was on the Arabian side rather than the African side of the Reed Sea. But again pretty much speculative. Now we get to something more uh, not more interesting, but we get to an individual here rather than just a nation. And Kush gave birth, obviously his wife gave birth, to Nimrod. He was the first one to be mighty in the land. And what we'll see that means is that he would be the first person to gather people together into a unified nation, more than just a nation, to kingdoms and to empires. Rabbinic literature ties this Nimrod to other events, including Including, uh, the one who instigated the Tower of Babel, that people, uh, build a big tower to fight against God, uh, which we'll read about in the next Aliyah, and he, Nimrod is also the one who tries to kill Abraham and kills Abraham's brother, uh, for, his, for their religious beliefs. Uh, both Midrashim are correct in that the message of them is to identify the Tower of Babel as an attempt, uh, through might to, and through the unification uh, of uh, many many peoples to sort of um, to make a name for oneself and to become uh, totalitarian and to even fight against God and that ties into the idea that they wanted to kill uh, uh, he wanted to kill Abraham since there's nothing more subsur- uh, subversive to someone trying to set him up as all powerful than a religion which recognizes an all powerful uh, uh, God. That is Nimrod, He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, and that's why it is said that is, there's kind of a parable that says, just like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The saying seems to be said regarding, you know, somebody who acts that way, like, oh, look at that guy. He's just like Nimrod, a great hunter before the Lord. But it's not clear exactly what it is, what in what way the person was acting to get that either compliment or insult. Radak says this is complimentary, that Nimrod was a great hunter, and that when it says before Hashem, it's like a superlative, like he had almost godlike skills, top of the barrel. Uh, Rashi says this is all a, a very negative thing, a very critical thing, and that Nimrod hunted people intellectually um, and, and in, in his nation building status, he tried to turn people away from recognition of God in any event. Nimrod the actual f- here is clearly an actual figure and stands out from most of the the, the rest of the seventy nations because they 're really just prototypes i mean they 're children, but they 're not there because they did anything of themselves they 're there simply because they are the name. Sakes of the seventy nations, which would be uh, in existence in the time of um, in the time of Moses, vatehi reshit mamlachto, and the capitals of his kingdom, that is of Nimrod's kingdom, were Bavel, Veerech, VeAkad, Shinar, in the land of Sumeria. All those. All those cities. Akkad is the same name as the language and people of the Babylonians, Akkadian. Uh, the Babylonians replaced the Sumerians down in that area of Mesopotamia, which I'll explain shortly. Kalmei may be the famous city of Nippur in Sumeria. Um, and the capitals did jump around quite a bit, which explains why we're list- we get a whole list of cities. They really jumped from city to city, depending on which god was considered to be the most powerful at the time. Minha arat sahi yatsa ashur, Vaiven, and from this land, meaning from Babylonia and Sumeria, which is in the, which essentially is, is in Mesopotamia, between the Tigris and Euphrates River, starting from the south, the Persian Gulf, all the way up to where the Tigris and Euphrates come together in almost like a belt. That's near what is now Baghdad and what used to be this, one of these cities, Bavel. And what it's saying is Usher went forth from there, or maybe Bavel attacked into Asher. We'll see, Asher actually is a descendant of shame. So probably what this means is that Babel attacked north into northern Mesopotamia and built the following cities at Ninve, at Rehovot-Ir, at, uh, the name of the city was Rehovot-Ir, and Kalach. Uh, and these cities are in northern Mesopotamia, uh, where modern-day, uh, Ninveh, for instance, is modern-day Mosul in northern Iraq. That Resen, Ben, Bain Uven Kalach, and Resen is between Ninveh and Kalach, which I think is Resen, although Rashi says, uh, uh, Ninveh, but I think it's referring to Resen, that's the plain sense of the text, uh, is the large city. Now why it's sort of making more of a point of rest than and the other two cities I don't know and we don't know exactly where the city was other than it was between Kalach and uh, Ninveh. Ninveh we know exactly where it is. And now moving on to uh, the next child down of of uh, of Ham Umitzrayim um, Yalad. And Egypt gave birth to Ludim, Veet Anamim, Veet Lahavim, Veet Nafduchim, Veet Patrusim, Veet Kasluchim. Asher Yatzumi Plishtim. That means Kasluchim was the place where the Plishtim came out from. Veet Kaftorim and Kaft and the Kaftorites. Ukna'an, and that's the fourth child of uh of Ham and the one who got the curse, of course. Yalad et Sidon, et He gave birth to Sidon, who was his firstborn, and Khait. Sidon is now more or less this is pretty much the same territory as modern Lebanon. Uh and he also gave uh, birth to the nations um, that is Canaan uh, will now give birth, as we we'll see, to three nations which are famous for living in the land of Canaan, the promised land. Right about when Israel was coming, Veta Yebusi, Veta Emori, Veta Girgashi, as well as Veta Chivi, Veta Arki, Veta Sini, Veta Arvadi, Veta Zemri, Veta Hamati, mishpachod And afterwards, the clan of the Canaanites, the Canaanites, all spread out. And the border of the Canaanites is from Sidon, which is north, in, in it's an area in Lebanon, then towards the uh, direction of Grar, uh, all the way to Aza. Now Grar would be um, uh, coming down, if you remember, Avi Melech lived there, the one who gave... Um, who gave Abram all kinds of problems. So that would be going down into the Negev of Israel today on the, uh, on the western coast, close to the uh, Mediterranean Sea, all the way to Aza, which means stretch it down to modern day the Gaza Strip area, and then in the direction of Stoma Morad Manswayim, which brings you all the way back to, uh, w- it, that way, you, essentially what you do is you draw a line of a southern border of the Canaanite territory, which would take you to the Dead Sea area of Sdom and Amora, And then Adlasha takes you back up to northern Israel, Elias being around where the Golan, the north part of the Golan Heights today. So essentially we get a full description of the Canaanite land, which matches what was... Generally noted as is, is Israel in the Bible, and in fact, pretty much what the borders of Israel are today. And we'll see why these borders are mentioned, where no other nation has its borders defined. These are the children of Ham, according to their tribes and the languages and the lands and their nations. All the Shem, and now we get to Shem, or the Semites. And to shame was also born he who was the father of all the children of Eber. That is he, shame, who was the father of all the children of Eber. He who was the brother of Yefet. Who was the oldest. The simple sense is that Yefet is the oldest. It's possible to read it a different way, but I think that's what we'll stick with. Um, and there's no question that the language clearly sets Shame apart from the others. He who is this, he who is that. And Shame is saved for last because he is the most significant for the Torah and the audience of the Torah, meaning the nation of Israel. Note now the passive verb yulad, meaning he had born unto him, is rarely used, and it is very distinctive, and I'm going to get back to what it means. Or at least what it what it what it what it makes stand out shortly. The children of Aver it says he was the father of the children of Ever, uh or really the Eivarites, does not mean that he had a son named Eber because he didn't. Rather, it is a reference to the Hebrews, meaning the children of the nation who was born to Abram, the Hebrew, which includes the Israelites, of course, and probably includes other uh, Abrahamic nations as well, such as Edom and the Ishmaelites, etc. V'nei shame, the children of the shame, and now we actually get to the children, rather than the introduction of what shame represents. Elam v'ashur v'ar Arpa. Shad Viludva Aram. Elam was the southern part, it was a nation, the southern part of a very ancient nation, in what is now Iran, southern Iran, very powerful before being absorbed into the even more powerful Persia. Uh, Asher was the nation living in northern Mesopotamia, uh, who caused Israel no end of suffering, although to some degree it was suffering already after it had been taken over by the Akkadian Sumerians. Uh, But in the end, Asher does not destroy Israel. And some say Arpachshad is the Chaldeans or what are known as the Kazdim who did destroy Israel. You should know that the Kazdim were Semites and when the Semites started moving in the direction of Mesopotamia, nobody wanted them. So they went to Asher first and Asher kicked them out. This we know from, not from the Torah, but from uh, ancient history and archaeology. so they kept on going more south, down and down Mesopotamia. Nobody wanted them until they got all the way to the marshland by the Persian Gulf. Nobody wanted that territory. It was just marshes and, and, and pretty livable. In the end, they would have the last laugh because they would take over the entire territory and pretty much rule the whole world for 70 years. But getting back to the text, Lod may be the Lydians in the western part of Asia Minor. Aram are, without question, the Aramites, stretching from what is now modern-day Syria to the Euphrates uh, in southern Turkey, and without question where uh, Avraham Avinu, where Avraham, our patriarch, came from. Ubne Aram, the children of Aram, were utz vichul vgeter Umash, And utz Maybe where Job or Eoav came from, which is in the land of Edom. Va'aparchshad Yalad, and our Pachshad gave birth to at Shelach. Veshelach Yalad at Shelach gave they gave birth to Shelach which is probably short for Methuselah, which is a name we saw before, Methuselah, and although it's a different Methuselah, it's a different Shelah, and Shelah gave birth to Aver. So finally we get to meet the famous aver who may be the reason why Abraham is called an Ivri, Aver Ivri, although other explanations are given for the word Abraham HaIvri. The fact that Aver is very significant is clear from the next verse. Eber yulad shnei vanim, Meshem Yoktan, and Eber had born to him two sons. The name of one of them was Peleg, because it was his days that the land became divided, which probably refers to the Tower of Babel event, which we'll get to in the next Aliyah. And his brother's name, that is, uh, Peleg's brother's name was Yoktan. Note again, though, by Eber, the irregular use of the word Yulad had born to him in the passive for Eber. And now let's take a look at where that verb is used and only used. That form, the pu'al form of, of to give, have given birth to, is only used in uh, this book, in the book of Genesis, and it's used very rarely outside of that, by Adam's third son, Shait, who will significantly really populate the world until unfortunately it's destroyed by the, by the flood. It's used only by Shait, by shame, by Aver, by Yaakov, and by Yosef. So clearly that verb is meant to indicate a significance to us, the reader of the Bible, about you know who the key players were in the lineage of the people who would ultimately accept the Torah. Vyokan Yalad and Yoktan gave birth to Elmodad, Vet Shala, Vetzarmabed, Vet Vet Hadoram, v'et Uzal, v'et Tiklav, v'et v'et Avim Avimael, v'et Shiva, v'et Ophir, v'et Chavila, v'et Yavav, kole These are all the children of Yoktan, who is very, who is clearly a very, very busy man. And their territory, that is, all of the Semites' territory, was from Mesha in the direction of Sephara and the eastern mountains. Now, there are only two borders described in this whole chapter which mentions 70 nations. It's Shame's kids, who would become the ancestors of the nation of Israel, and it was Canaan's borders as well. And that's because God says to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob that I will give the, your children, Isaac's child, uh, Jacob's children, the land of Canaan. So therefore, we we need to know exactly where those borders were. And here is where the borders are described. So later on, in Brasho, when it says, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan, you're supposed to say, oh, I'm going to hyperlink back to this chapter 10 and know exactly where those borders are. the These are the children of shame each according to his clan, according to their language groups and their lands, according to their peoples. And we end off where we began, the very beginning of the Aliyah, which ties everything up in a nice literary package. These are the families or the clans of the children of Noah, according to their lineages and their peoples. And from these, that is from all the, these peoples, nations were divided on the earth Following or what, occur- which occurred after the cataclysm, after the flood.